decoded. Welcome to this episode of the Founder Tech Decoded podcast. I'm delighted on this episode to be joined to Hattie Willis. Um, Hattie is extremely active, or as she says, wears many hats in this early stage space. So it's a real delight to be talking to her. I think we share many views. I can't see many sort of uh, arguments uh, on this <laughs> on this version of this episode of the podcast. But Hattie's mainly um, uh, now involved in three things. Um, predominantly, if we raise, there's a new platform that connects underserved founders with the knowledge and the networks they need to get access to capital. Uh, something I think we'll spend a lot of time talking about. Um, she's also the host of the Not My First Guest podcast. Uh, where she interviews founders of all stages. And she's also a coach and a trainer um, with her company, Guestworks, for accelerators, universities, corporates, uh, education companies. Um, so, Hattie, that is a lot of hats. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, do you feel like you're in three different places? Are you okay? It's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. It's always a great question. Yeah. Um, I'm great, actually. I think, you know what? Sometimes I do need to be asked that question, but this week it's all coming together nicely. I think they're quite complementary things. So my background is doing a, a ton of entrepreneurship education. So teaching founders, a lot of that ended up being around how do you fundraise? So whether that was pitching support or um, making sure that you're actually asking for the right things and speaking to the right investors. And then that kind of gave birth to Ify Raise because I got really frustrated that you could teach founders to be the best possible founder, the startup idea was super sound. They tested it and got actually really good traction um, comparative to others. And they still weren't getting capital because of their race, their gender, their sexuality, um, disability, or socioeconomic background. And so for me, they kind of all feed together. But <laughs> that said, it does sometimes add up to a lot. Yeah, um, it's an interesting question. I don't, have, I don't think I've ever asked that on the podcast. Are you okay? I obviously I was being sarcastic, but I have actually used that with founders. Um, sometimes on like shareholder meetings or when you're workshopping with people, it's quite an important question that very rarely gets asked to founders. Like, are you actually okay? You know, we all know about the stresses and you know the impacts on mental health and you know the risk profiles and all of that kind of stuff. But very, you know, just that question can often be like I've seen CEOs go. Thanks so much for asking yeah. that, like to a group of people. So it's quite quite an interesting question that maybe should be asked a lot more often. I'm trying to actually bake it in. It's funny. I'm trying to bake it into some of the accelerators I'm helping design. So how do we get like genuine mental health support for the founders, not just like a one-off workshop, but how do we bake it in, whether that's access to affordable therapy or coaching to give them that space? Because I think you're spot on. We don't talk about it enough. And yet we all know that it's a massive issue for founders. Like it's an emotional roller coaster, and the chances are no one's going to be okay all of the time. And people do need that sounding board. So I think you're spot on with that. So let, let's use that as a, as, as a jump off point. So maybe let's examine why founders are absorbing uh, an incredible amount of, um, not stress, but I, I use the term turbulence, like like you know that kind of unknowing of of, of where where the next iteration of, of where mm -hmm. they are, their life is is uh, is often sort of like wed, wedded to the actual startup itself. Um, do you think that one of the things that isn't spoken about enough, particularly around sort of well-being and mental health, is because of the inherent asymmetry and unfairness of the venture ecosystem and its predisposition to 
you know, if you have the networks, I heard that we did a podcast yesterday with Jonathan Hollis, and he was talking about that you're 13 more times, terrible English, 13 times more likely to get a deal from a known network, a known in, introduction. Yeah. So if you're a founder that doesn't have that, you are so behind before you start that that must <laughs> impact on you, you know, immediately. You're suddenly aware of these odds, but you're also in your head have got this kind of like dream of, you know, whatever you're, startup dream founder dream whatever you think it's going to be and then the reality of that hits um do you think that, that those asymmetries are sort of like directly correlated to to, to well-being oh 100 percent. and i think like if you think of it as simply as if you're getting rejected like 100 percent of the time you're gonna feel like you're not good enough and actually i think founders who push through that and manage to get funding are incredible because you are just coming up against you're having to have a resilience that we wouldn't ask almost anyone else to have in their job which is you are going to get rejected 99.99% of the time and to your point like there are people who are told oh you come across as so much more confident and so much more self-assured a lot of that I think does tie to coming from backgrounds where when they're introduced into a room, you know, let's be really specific, uh, particularly based on your race, your background and your education. So if you went to private school or Oxbridge, I was lucky enough to do both. And that does mean that when you go into a room, people make assumptions about you that you're worth listening to. And actually they're not asking you in the same way about the risks in your idea. I mean, there's a huge amount of research actually on the gender question of how women, when they go into VC meetings, not only are they less likely to be actually backed, so they're more likely to be rejected, but in that process of being interviewed, they're much more likely to be asked about the risks in their business and how their business can fail. And any founder worth their salt needs to be able to unpack the risks in their business and answer those questions. So I don't have an issue in, in and of itself with asking a founder about that. But when you're waiting who you ask based on bias so heavily uh, sorry based on gender so heavily that ultimately is going to have a massive impact on confidence and self-assurance and feeling like and, and, and self-worth and I think founders who make it through that funding process who have faced just exponential barriers I'm genuinely just in awe of because I think protecting your mental health and continuing in the face of what is just an onslaught anyway, like anyone raising capital faces a ton of rejection. But if you're then up against everything else, yeah, it's, it's a huge toll. Yeah. Um, I want to uh, suggest an idea that I was thinking about a couple of days ago that, that, that kind of like nuances that, see, see what you think. So I, I think there is this, you know, one of the other things that's putting on pressure on founders is this sort of unicorn myth, right? And we don't have to go too much into that. It's been spoken about a lot. And the legacy of the Adam Newmans and the, yeah. you know, Elizabeth Holmes and these sort of like, you know, alpha founders. Yeah. Um, and I think very few people in life are those people, right? They are just, it's a very unusual sort of set of traits and motivations. And as we've seen, often leads to, you know, some sort of not so desirable outcomes. Yeah. I think we are stepping into a, uh, and I think it's part of the founder tech conversation and a more nuanced understanding that perhaps the founder that can navigate a path through sort of, uh, let's call it a scalable niche, this term comes up again, you know, they're a domain expert, let's say they've got five to 10 years of navigating something in an unusual, complex way. And through that 
talent and that ability to navigate it, they could potentially unlock a new market or the potential of a new sector. But they may not be the people that, you know, scale companies because they're totally different skills, right? And, and, and now that we've got into sort of no code, low code, you know, the, the MVPs kind of been dismantled as not being the key skill. But actually, if we learn to really value those founders, I guess there's a, the term founder market fit as well, like that the, the, the are playing that initial role to untap market potential, perhaps that would be a much more humane way on both sides to evaluate risk and to sort of put... Put, put expectation on that founder's shoulders. If they were, if they were just simply thinking, you know, I really understand this. I'm, I, I use this example. I've made her up. Like Julie from Aberystwyth, with got ten years in early learning. She's, you know, and because of personal circumstances, she really understands it can reframe dyspraxia. Right? There's, there's loads of Julies all over the place. Right? We know that. Why isn't that Julie being valued properly and framed properly? And why are we still expecting Julie to be able to walk into a room and pitch, I'm going to build a team, I'm going to raise a Series A, like I'm going to you know, take this to other markets? All skills that are just not, like you said, it's very, very rare for a founder to have all of those things. So why are we trying to sort of, if those people are really valuable, why are we sort of baggaging them with these things that maybe the, the, where they don't add any value? That, that's my new thought. And I think something I quite often talk about, which strikes a, a chord with this, is is if you think about working in a company, like most of us will have worked in a company, if, even if we're a founder. And if you think about an experience you have with a manager who is just frankly a terrible manager and should never have been made a manager. Yeah. But we, in order to progress, you have to become a manager, right? That's like the the next step up. And so we end up having like a very broken structure in corporates where the the higher up you go, it's actually less about um, just your domain knowledge and your actual expertise and ability to execute and often more and more about your people skills. And I think in the same way that that needs to shift in corporates, it, it, to your point, we need to shift the narrative around what success is in a startup. Because and this is something we talk about a lot in If We Raise when we talk about fundraising and I don't think is had as an active enough conversation. What the founder actually wants matters but we're not asking founders the right questions about what they want before mm. they go and raise and in the same way that fundraising you see some really common mistakes like people think i want to raise venture capital i want to have a startup because i want to be my own boss okay so you raise venture capital and suddenly the vcs can fire you you're actually not your own boss they're your boss um we're not asking the right questions and i think a lot of this is still that there is stigma attached to to your point, you have to grow with the business. You can't just be the founder. You've then got to be the CEO when it's at growth. And actually, not everyone wants to do that. No. Like, that sounds like hell to me. Honestly, yeah. I would I would it's loathe it. it. Yeah. Um, but that's 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 makes you sound like you're a failure. And I don't think that's true. And in the same way, I think with fundraising, a huge part for me that has to change is we have to change the conversation about fundraising being the barometer by which we judge someone's success and, and similarly the other barometer I think we get really wrong is like how big's your head count like we're seeing this a huge amount at the moment with companies having to fire huge numbers of people um, but when I speak to founder friends who have been really successful have been growing at pace and have been in you know these rooms and these groups where they're talking about um, high growth startups the question they would always get asked is well how big's your team now so I just think we're fundamentally for the shift that you're talking about to happen I think we need to change the questions we ask each other in the ecosystem and how we give space for people actually to define a different version of success because the the versions that we're currently championing coming back to your point 
we certainly don't need more Adam Newmans in the world and we don't need more alpha leadership. To my mind, we need more empathetic leadership. And if that grows with the business and you want to stay CEO and you're a good fit in that role, great. But actually, if you're an empathetic early leader and you're great at testing and learning in the early stages and that's actually where you tap out, also great. Yeah, it's um, so interesting. Um, it's, it, have you ever heard of... Um... Top, obviously you've heard Tom Monza, but have you ever read his quote when he left? It was literally for like mirroring what you've just said, where he said, I, I didn't set up a company to be, you know, you know, go to board meetings and manage teams exactly. and watch my share price. He's like, that's just not what I wanted to do. So thanks very much. I'm going to tap out. And you have to go, fair play, mate. Like literally to know to do that. And, and you know, and not stick around, and and we almost like the, the visual has to be like like almost like there's eight nine nodes on that founder's journey, and there's the likelihood that the founder initial founder is going to be the you know the same founder on node three or four is 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 so unlikely, and to understand that, and that so I a while ago I was playing the time of these founders are like propellers, you know, they're the people that get you off the ground. But they're not the, not necessarily the, the same as the executors. I mean, I'd never heard the headcount thing. I mean, that just sounds absurd, right? Like how it's, yeah. it's, almost, it's almost like how, you know really your common. Google ad spending or you know like Facebook spending, measuring it on that. It's such a strange, such a strange way of asking that question. So I so let, let's let's put it to you then. Why then when everybody says that the in early stages that it's all about the founder, right? You everyone will say that. How many people do you come across that actually have a formula to measure, like that, that measures that founder in ways that even sort of, you know, t tend towards what we're talking about? How many do you actually like carry around with them? This is how I measure a founder and their potential <laughs> and their journey. Like, because I, I don't meet many, but I'd love to know if you meet any, if met anybody and what those models are. Yeah, no, it's, and it's interesting because we looked at it right at the beginning of the idea of if we raise was um, not what it now is, which is about creating genuine networks with angel advisors earlier so you can get connection and real relationships with um, capital before you make the ask for the, the funding so you can build trust because that that's kind of our theory is that actually that's, got to be proven by underrepresented founders so much more than anyone else which isn't fair but is the reality um but we originally had the idea of well can we make it much more metrics based in the early early stages and what we kept going back to is the exact point you made investors talk about well it's founder fit and there are some i do know some people who have like very objective metrics right so they'll look at some angels i speak to love for instance university spin outs because yeah. they love people who have the deep technical knowledge, but they don't have the commercials and that's something they can bring. So someone thinking about it, I love when I hit an angel thinking like that about a fit for where they think the founder's a good fit, but also where they can inject some knowledge. So, so that I think is a really strong example. Um, I speak to other people who it's, they would be very honest about the fact that they can't quantify it and it's a feeling. And the my candid answer to that is I see some people who I think I look at their portfolio and think, well, actually, you're doing that really well. That like you are mm. the kinds of questions you ask those founders are about their adaptability and their resilience and their passion. And and you're picking a diverse range of founders to support based on that gut. But other founders, sorry, other angel portfolios you look at and you know that those decisions that have been made based on gut instinct are much more uh, the psychological confirmation bias where 
someone looks like us, sounds like us. And so we think they must be smart because that reaffirms something in us that wants to be smart. And especially if we've had success and we're trying to help others mirror it, then of course we look for signals that they might be similar to us because we're our own pattern. Um, And sometimes you see kind of the pattern recognition of, well, they look or sound like this other founder that I know who succeeded. But that for me is the most dangerous thing because A, it's unconscious ultimately. We don't know we're doing it. We can kind of find ways to fudge together to back up our logic. Um, but ultimately it's based on just the wrong the wrong factors and a huge amount of bias, whether it's you know, I was interviewing someone once for a, a position um at my old company, and I realized halfway through the interview I was really enjoying that kind of interview style. And it wasn't until another 10 minutes passed I realized I was really enjoying it because it just reminded me of Oxford tutorials and they'd also (laughs) been to Oxford and they'd been through and we'd been trained the exact same way like we'd just we'd been taught this way of communicating and so when I heard it it sounded smart to me because I'd admired other people who'd run those sessions previously um but actually that doesn't say about whether they're smart enough to do the role or they're the right fit so if you if you would because I'm, I'm so interested in the diversity question and the regionality question and the impact question, because I don't, I do think that you, if once it's reframed about capital allocation to talent and, and capital flows to that talent, particularly when you're framing founders in the way that we're talking about and you are evaluating their ability to sort of get something off the ground and, you know, that that's all, all these just talked about. Um, I, I think you start to, reframe yeah like i said the diversity regionality and impact kind of conversation because it just literally becomes like wherever the talent is if they are, are solving a valuable problem they should be able to have get in a conversation with, with capital mm. we don't we don't live in that place at the moment but I, I think we can get there but can you give us we can name names if you want but can you give us some horror stories around like really talented founders you know from female founders let's say from um you know more ethnic backgrounds who are, or founders who are remotely based can you give us like two or three sort of portraits to have tableaus of like those of how hard it is for those people make it generic if you wish however you want to take it but it'd be really yeah. nice to get some color yeah. on those things I, I think one point before i do that that i just want to add because i think it's sometimes lost in this discussion and i think it's really important that we talk about it really frankly there's two parts to this. There's the part where the talent can access. So to your point, can you get in front of an investor? Will they take you seriously if you're in the UK, for instance, based outside London? Like that's just harder to get in front of an investor. But then there's also the point of, um, so that's kind of equal access. And I think a really helpful delineation to make is between equality versus genuine equity. Yeah. Um, and what I mean by that is, if you have the same person who's had very different inputs in terms of resources and still to an extent might have different inputs in terms of resources, you're going to get very unequal outcomes. So I could judge the same person and how fast they're moving their startup forward. Um, Sorry, I could judge two people on how fast they're moving their startup forward. And that could either tell me if they have totally equal inputs that actually one is smarter than the other or doing a better job. But actually, if I don't take into account who is also having to hold down a full-time job uh, or multiple jobs, who has got caring responsibilities, who has or hasn't had access to accelerator programs because they couldn't afford to move to London to join or because they couldn't actually join the sessions because of their job. 
So I think that's also the bit that we kind of need to unearth is not just what happens when founders are put in front of investors, but if we really genuinely want a shift in the system, then A, we have to ultimately equalize those the, the access to resource. Uh, and that means treating different founders from different backgrounds differently in terms of giving extra support, extra access. Um, not because it's a charitable philanthropic endeavor, but just because actually that drives the best outcomes for everyone, right? Drives more money for the economy. It drives more jobs. It ripples and ripples and ripples um, and ultimately drives more funding into the startup ecosystem because more founders successfully come in, more exit and more reinvest. Um, to your point of horror stories, I'm trying to think of ones that are kind of regionally based. Um, there are... While I do that, there are some great initiatives going on, um, like Fund Her North, um, which is focused on kind of driving more access to angel investors um, for female founders in the north. Yeah. And there are accelerators emerging. But I think I think like some of the big gaps are like there just might not be an accelerator that you can access. Like in London, if you want to join an accelerator, there's so many of them. Um, and I know people who've you know, overpaid for access to accelerators that added little to no value um, because they felt like they had to do something to get into the ecosystem and there was nothing available near them. And, and then the other kind of, I guess, horror stories are less than what people are saying to you. It's just more, can you actually meet the found, meet the investors? Can you get in front of them? I think that's a big issue regionally. Yeah, I'm flipping it on a slightly more positive. Um, yeah. No, no, I'm not that it really it's negative. It's just, it's just the state of where things are. Um, but the, in terms of the sort of things that I think provide flux, um, I, I do think post-pandemic, the fact that video calls and working remotely um, and having those calls with investors has the stigma of not of, of just doing it via yeah. a call it's hugely useful, right? It's just hugely useful because it does start to address fundamentally what you're talking about, right? The fact that we got used to sort of, you know, mums with young kids in, in the pandemic where they were present and didn't have to be sort of hidden all the time or excused. You know, those things I think are super useful. And and so I do think that that when aligned with things like agile funding, you know, where you can have a call um, pitch to someone and, you um, you know, and then via an advanced subscription agreement or an SPV or something like that, close that deal really quickly is is all really good, like for everything we're talking about. Like, the, I think that's a huge advance on where you did have to go to a meeting and all the things you were talking about earlier, you know, you had to present yourself in a certain way. The fact that that can be accessed genuinely from anywhere, I think is, yeah. is, a, is, a, is a big step forward, particularly for early tickets, right? But, um, sorry. No, I was just going to say, like, I, I do think, Look, I don't want to be negative Nancy over here, but I think I think like it, it that is absolutely a stride forward. It just struck me as you said it, um, you know, if a mum's kid walks on to the camera while she's on a fundraising call, I would still suspect that that would damage her chances of raising, which is horrifying. I still have many female founders you ask for horror stories. I have many female founders who've been asked about their plans for marriage and children in investment meetings. Um, I have friends who are in relationships with their co-founders um and they the, the woman in the relationship who has been asked not the man yeah. um and i have friends who are with uh another founder who is is a dad um and when they've been raising they've been asked nothing about that and and the friends have so i think again i do i'm really optimistic that these changes are coming and and in terms of you know 
just being a bit more optimistic. I think there are incredible organizations included VC, I think is one who's trying to drive a change in actually who has the influence and the power who sits in a VC, who can make those decisions. And we, we need big shifts in actually the people making those decisions so that someone doesn't write off someone um, because of their background or experience doesn't look like them. Um, and I think that is happening. Um, I think there are some really important questions we need to keep asking around those changes. So for instance, Sifted did a really good investigative investigative piece of journalism where they looked at uh, a rise in VCs in or general partners and VCs who are women in Europe. And they kind of exposed that actually that number's going up, which is brilliant news, but the challenge is they're still not being given carry in the fund or um, actual <laughs> seats on the investment committee, which is a bit of a bigger problem. So I think we, wherever we're seeing a change, we just need to be keeping a really critical lens on what deeper systems changes are needed to really, really ultimately drive a shift. And I am really optimistic based on people like Included VC, based on people like Angel Investing School. Um, Andy Aim is, is someone yeah. I think is incredible in this space. He's trying to drive and, and, and educate a new generation of much more diverse angels, for instance. I do think the shift will happen. It's just that it needs to come from such a deep system shifts and such a network of those shifts. That at the moment, it's it's sometimes hard to talk about without coming across as negative, but while being true to how complex it is to change. So as a large question, as we sort of start, start to wrap up on time, um, one of the things that gives me a lot of hope is um, I talk about, um, do you know the concept of idling capacity in um, the sharing economy? Do you ever come across that idea? I don't think I have, no. Very, very sort of simple idea that you can see across all of the sharing or collaborative platforms, whether it's, you know, Uber, Airbnb, whatever. Mm-hmm. They, it's that, or it's that actually, you know, your spare room that was left idle for, you know, 300 days of the year or your yeah. car sat there you know you yeah. had a car or you had some time three hours on the weekend that you could actually be doing some stuff right forget the gig economy mutation of that for, for a second mm. I actually think we're talking about something and I'm thinking about kind of maybe doing some research into it in that actually there is this idling capacity in venture and innovation that actually there's all of this this potential locked up because of the inefficiencies that we've been talking about you know, they've been exploring now for, for you know nearly a year. It's like it's like there, there is it's the inefficiency that is not really in anyone's interest, other than a very small handful of people, and it's so baked in that I think we haven't yet unlocked that idling capacity. But I think the minute the minute that becomes apparent that it's in everyone's interest to do so, I think attention, eyeballs, adventure um, will all then shift going actually, this is where, you know, 30% of new value could come and we could unlock this and this is where genuine innovation is going to come and there's actually a narrowing of kind of, you know, new opportunities in e-commerce and B2B SaaS opportunities. Actually, if we could find these people and empower... Do you you mean the minute it becomes economically rational Mm -hmm. to unlock it? I think uh, there's 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 that swing that you're talking about. And I I think that's why Founder Tech, by giving the platforms that can make things flow in that way, once you overlay the economics of it and people start building portfolios and you start to see, hold on, if we see, if we frame it in this way, it just unlocks more value and there's actually a lot more space to play in 
than sort of trying to find that one pitch deck in the 300 that, you know, that has made some e-commerce play in it, which is a very hard thing to do now. So what, what do you think of that idea of this kind of, I, I, I don't know if you, you'd call it idling capacity for, for yeah. venture, but I think it's there and I think it's part of the conversation. So two things. You said we weren't going to have a disagreement. I can kind of half disagree with this. Okay. So there's some fun tension there. I agree with you that there's a ton of idling capacity. I disagree with you that it uh, that that coming to light will fundamentally change the system quickly right. because I think it's been very clear for a number of years. Um, so there have been business cases run for years. I mean, you know, Sifted won't run an article anymore on the the gap that not funding for instance female founders or founders of color creates in the economy because it's just old news now that said where i get really really hopeful is that i genuinely think this shift is coming because to your point there is idling capacity i think there are incredible actors and this is where i personally get really inspired if i look for instance at our angel advisors who are coming on if we raise and they're paying it forward and ultimately they do so for two reasons one is that they're they're genuine allies acting to try and change the system but they're also doing it because they believe that it will create value that will allow them to keep reinvesting and keep growing so you're right that that they're believing the idling capacity they're believing in the capability of the founders but i think actors like those driving systems change and there are people really doing this and and things that platforms um for instance that allow syndication of deals that allow people to put in smaller tickets that fundamentally brings in a huge amount of new actors into an ecosystem and that i think drives a rebalance and i think for me where the shift is going to come is when we get enough people genuinely messing up parts of the startup ecosystem that have kind of been untouched for years and saying look we've made the business case that didn't work we're actually just going to start acting on this ourselves and and i think that's where i'm really optimistic that there are incredible humans who genuinely care as well as seeing the business case and they don't just see it just see it as a business case they also see it as as doing the right thing and i think that's really important to reattach the two almost and i get really excited because i get to work with a ton of them if we raise I, that's what really bolsters my hope is that actually we can have more and more interventions. And if we raise our feeling is very much, let's connect into the ecosystem and support others who are doing different work at different points of the chain that's broken, because it does require a bit of an overhaul in in different parts. But I just get super buoyed up by watching the people who are willing to join us on the, if we raise journey and, and try and make that change now it's just incredible and and for anyone listening who is an angel advisor and that this sounds something that you're equally passionate about and want to get involved in I'd love to hear from you we're we're always looking for new advisors who can genuinely bring deep domain expertise deep operational experience and inject it to founders who otherwise maybe don't have the access they're not in in you know they can't get a warm intro into the um, investing ecosystem but they also don't necessarily because they don't have that they don't get the early advice from people who are experienced founders are experienced startup operators um, so I get really excited by the people the individuals who are, who are messing up the system Hattie you did the plug too early that's it that's, now we have to wrap up without with any kind of plug no no we can, <laughs> we can come back <laughs> no it's fine um 
that is in all seriousness in ter- is it, it, so those are the people that you want to talk to like and and we'll obviously put in the show notes your linkedin and however you want them to reach out to you but like those if someone listening to this is like actually i i have that experience as an angel and i'd love to bring it to bear to kind of address the issues that we're talking about those, those are the people you want to talk to is that correct yeah and also founders right so we have um founders on our platform who are actually working on um founder tech themselves and and they join our community we we support founders who are underrepresented on the grounds of race gender sexuality disability and socioeconomic background and we work currently with those who have raised already less than two hundred thousand pounds who are looking for that support both to work out should they raise at all? How much should they raise? Who should they raise from? How yeah. do they go about raising? Um, but also maybe they're just looking to say, I don't necessarily want to raise, but I want to grow my business and I, I want to build something sustainable. I need access to this advice to do it. Um, so if, if you're a founder in that category as well and would like to talk, please do reach out as well. Excellent. Um, I don't think we disagreed. I agree with you. I, I agree with you. <laughs> um, I, I think that's the thing though. Like what's as a maybe as a as a wrap wrap up it's like i do think everybody who you know who's who you who you would recognize as like a good actor who's who's you know got that intelligence you're talking about and awareness sees it the same like how we get there maybe you know there's variants and who quite knows and there might be sort of some black swan event that changes everything and you know you know what i mean like that's all that's yeah. but everybody kind of sees it the same that is in this little community um which is I think really heartening because it's full of really smart people who are kind of like going, well, I'm just going to start with a clean line and work towards how I want it to be and not worry about the legacy of it. And that's it. You can, and, and, and you're all, you're all welcome to this party. Do you know what I mean? There's no one's, no one's trying to build up new walls. It's like, if you want to participate, you can participate, but there's mm-hmm. going to be kind of new dynamics. And I think that's really, that's really invigorating. I think whether they, 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 and particularly coming out of the UK, I, I mean, not that I've spoken to loads of people in the U S or, or Europe or, you know, like, I, but there is a community, uh, you know, and, and obviously there's the trying to bring that together on the 15th um, of May, like the first bring everyone together. I think that's going to be really interesting. It's going to, you know, having everybody talking about these issues. So, um, yeah, it, it's been, it's been great to just start to unpack them with you and get your perspective. And yeah, thanks so much for the time. No, thanks for having me. And I can't wait for the 15th. I am I am pretty optimistic that we will see the shift. Uh, so if you're listening and feeling disheartened by some of the challenges we outlined to Dan's point, I do think enough people are working on them now that we, we're already, we've already seen massive change and, and it will keep, I hope, exponentially getting better. I think we're two to three years away. I think we're two to three years away to these conversations sounding quaint because people will just be like, of course it happens like that. Of course, if I'm based in rural Scotland, I can find people. I, I, I maybe it might be I'm naive, but I think it's that. I don't think it's that far away. I really don't. I think I think that the thing is all. It, it, it can all be engineered for that to happen. So, um, let let let's see. Um, <laughs> I, I think you're right on the regional point. I think we've got a bigger a bigger <laughs> maybe yeah golf on the race and gender yeah. um, particularly biases. But I'm I'm optimistic, as I said, that they will keep getting exponentially better the more people we support the more exit the more pay it back into the ecosystem it it is a loop that currently is flywheeling the wrong way but i think it can start to fly real the right way quite quickly
Yeah, and maybe we should know if you're going if you're an investor and and a female founder comes in, maybe not ask her about her husband. Like just just as sort of a little like a note to self, maybe not maybe that's not a cool way to to talk to someone. So uh, yeah, just as a, as a closing thought, maybe. Um, yeah, so, and and if you want to hear more horror stories on kind of fundraising as a woman, fundraising as a um, founder of color or as a gay founder we did actually do an episode of not my first guess um actually at sifted summit we did it live uh specifically with three founders who talked to their experiences and and there are some absolute horrors in there of what they've been asked at different points so if you want to educate yourself more on this like that's a really good episode to start on if this isn't something that you hear and recognize from your community having having been through it try and go and hear those kind of lived experiences from the people who've lived them we'll stick the link to that in the in the notes so people can go and find that um Amazing. yeah um thanks again Hattie it's re- I really really appreciate it thanks for having me Dan <laughs>